the day after the day after the day. And uh, we're going to hear from a lot of Toronto Maple Leafs players after 10.30 today. We'll bring those to you live right here on Good Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan speaking after 4 o'clock. But we don't have to be weighed down by the stresses of what will the Toronto Maple Leafs do today? How will they hurt us today? I suppose they still could with their words, but their play can't hurt us. We're safe. What did you, what did you do on the first day uh, without that anxiety hanging over your head, J.D.? Was there any worse like tune than sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me? It's words like it's hurt. a good sentiment, but you kinda really set it you're setting kids up to be like, Why are the words hurting me? Mm-hmm. I thought they weren't <laughs> supposed to hurt. <laughs> Only the, yeah. I'll take the sticks. I'll take a stick any day over mean words. Stones? Well. No. But yeah. stick? Yeah, depends on the stick. But I think that there's a strong case for a stick every once in a while over the, Buddy, the words. I can think of some particular words that have been hurled towards me where I'm like, oh, yeah, I take oh. a log like to yeah. the old melon here. Like, <laughs> yeah. can oh, we? Yeah. We're just talking about a pebble, also. Like, yeah, yeah. Can, if I no, get the I think option. a stone is clearly a stone. You know, a stone is something that if you throw it in a lake, it mm. makes a like it. it, doesn't, <laughs> it, it. <laughs> but I mean, we're talking. You could drop on a toe. Like that's different. I don't want that. I'll take the mean word. <laughs> that's right, that's the, maybe you fine. get your toenail all cracked fine. and then that swells up no thanks uh, just again uh, let's, let's keep it to sticks all right maybe depending on the word if i get a little preview of the words and then the men in black of mind racer to uh get rid of that maybe maybe then we're talking yeah i loved yesterday yesterday was great i thought it was gonna be really i'm not ready to watch hockey again i'm just not no. I, I tuned into the very end of the tampa hurricanes game when mm-hmm. The Canes made it a one-goal game, and they really tried to press for the last couple of minutes. That was nice, but that was all I could handle. Um, Dame was amazing. I thought I was signing up for this big LeBron game, and I was ready all night for LeBron, 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 and then Dame went off, and it was just spectacular. Like, truly one of the best viewing experiences of the year. I don't care if if you don't – yeah, that was great too. No, I don't care if you don't like – basketball like it's like you would rather watch soccer or f1 ahead of basketball you don't like sports if you saw one second of that of that no, it's basically entire game and didn't stick with it through the end yeah insanely insanely good hopefully it's we have so funny too because like our producer loves basketball and he always is talking about how he loves basketball and he's mr basketball on our show and he's like got yeah. basketball and opinions no, but all the best basketball is at night, and he just I goes know. to sleep every night at, like, 1030. <laughs> it's like, oh, the good basketballs are – I was like, how did he ever see these players? I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Are you well, watching them on tape delay? Like, are, are you yeah. recording and watching Well, he the saw them all in, in high school, right? Yeah. Like, he's just going no. off what they look like in their, in their no. small you know high schools in the middle of no. nowhere. You know what it is? <laughs> the younger generation, how they watch basketball games is the eight-minute YouTube. Uh, oh. That's it. Or Instagram. They, he saw a dunk, and he's like, I kind of like LeBron. I think he's good. I'm like, yeah, no, he is. <laughs> you should watch a whole game sometime. Um, <laughs> it's pretty spectacular. So it's, it's Leafs locker room day. Oh, you got something else? Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to transition it there. Uh, but, yeah, saying that yesterday was great, and it's nice to not be shackled to this team that is going to perennially let you down. And, yes, maybe the words will hurt us. But I was doing some digging this morning 
because it was not that long ago that we had a similar uh, thing happen on our show. It's August twelfth, twenty twenty. August twelfth we... for hockey is weird. This yeah. is already weird that we're a month back, but August twelfth for hockey takes. Yep, quite August twelfth, twenty twenty. And uh, Kyle Dubas took to the podium, talked about how you guys don't understand the numbers. Cody Cece's good. Idiots. Stupid idiots. Cody Cece's good. So we won't have that today. But it is jarring to look at some of the messages that were sent out by him and this Toronto Maple Leafs team at the end of that five-game series loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets and how similar the tone and the questions are going to be today. So I guess the question to you is then... What do you want to hear him say? What do you want to hear him say? How do you want to feel at the end of today? So, I'll just say this. Kyle Dubas is in an impossible spot. Some people have already just, you know, completely absolved him of all responsibility in that he put together the roster and it should have been the players and blah, 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 blah. I think everybody bears responsibility for this loss. Um... But I think that there's going to be extremes on both sides, or that's what you end up seeing. But for the most part, I'm going to try to listen today and be a little bit more rational than I was last year. But I also think that what I want to hear is him to be a little bit more rational as well. Because you touched on that a little bit, just in that little editorializing lead-up, of he was really attacking people during last year's media conference. He went after people. Like, you didn't try to re-sign Cody Cece. In fact, your number one priority of the offseason was to go out and get someone to play next to Morgan Riley, which really validated a lot of the criticism about this team. You didn't try to re-sign Tyson Berry. You let him walk. And you didn't even think twice about it. And Dubas last year, after they got bounced by Columbus, didn't really speak about anything. He just went on the attack. He was just super defensive, and he seemed to attack anybody that had criticisms of his hockey team, which to me at the time, now that I look back on it, is a little bit more fair considering where we were at in the pandemic, knowing that these guys did have to come back and play hockey, and the nature of just the season in general where it was a dog pile after a dog pile after a dog pile on the Maple Leafs because, frankly, they sucked, and everything that everybody thought about them ended up being true. But Dubas went out and said, okay, you know what? I'm not taking any, I'm not letting these guys take heat for it. In fact, I'm going to push it back into your court. Shanahan, if you recall, was actually the guy that first led the breadcrumbs to it's tougher. We got to be tougher and, and we're going to try to find ways to get there and blah, 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 blah. So what I kind of want to hear today from Dubas is I like general managers who are smart. I like general managers who are articulate, who are calm, who see the bigger picture, who are not fans, who are not you and I, you know, espousing loosely and just letting it rip all the time. But I want to hear a little bit of emotion from this guy. Like, I want to hear no defensiveness this time around, not in the way that it was last year. You can be defensive of your group and you cannot throw your guys under the bus without the way last year was. But sometimes... I think what gets lost in these multi-million dollar businesses, which is fair, is the reason why you're making money. And the reason is that people care about this hockey team. And and I genuinely wonder how those guys are going to empathize whatsoever when it comes to fans 
who are broken right now, who are... How many people reached out to you and I yesterday saying that the healing needs to begin or that they're done? And like, I, I want to say, by the way, thank you so much for all the messages that we got yesterday. And, and again, like the best way to reach me is always on Instagram because Twitter has a filtration process where it like goes into the messages and it goes far away. Also, all the messages about the show. Thank you. But also share the show. If you love the show, share the show. I, I want to hear a little bit of that, a little bit of that connection to the fan base, a little bit of the understanding of what exactly people are going through right now. And I know that guy wants to win. I know that guy wants to figure it out. I know that guy is probably just as confused as many of us today. But mm-hmm. if it's defensive and it's getting like barbs thrown and ugly, I, I'm going to see that there is no connection to the fan base. There is no connection to the understanding. It's just simply guys doing business and and I that's not what this is about the the biggest quote out of that thing August 12th was I don't understand the criticism of Mitch Marner one bit right and basically called people idiots for saying Mitch Marner wasn't good enough had not been good enough in the postseason so I I can't imagine guy who runs this organization is going to come out and blast his stars like that is no and, but you don't and, want him to do that like of course like and that's an unreasonable expectation it's not either. his job not his job at all but there has to be some acknowledgement here that the level of play is different because we didn't even hear it from we heard it a little bit from Marner Marner did say hey I got to figure out why this is not what I want to do is not happening in the biggest moments here, and it hasn't happened in 18 straight games. It hasn't happened since I signed this contract. Didn't say that part. That part was all parenthetical, and I can only imagine he was also thinking it. But there was so much talk about the process being good when it came to Marner, when it came to Matthews, that they just didn't get the bounces, that they ran into a hot goalie. And, my God, like I I guess they believe it. I, I just cannot imagine that. And I don't know how he's going to acknowledge that personally, or I Explicitly, and maybe that comes to our next question about what you would want to hear if he was telling the truth. But I just, I want to feel like I'm not taking crazy pills. Like this organization doesn't think that that was just good enough and they got out goalied and they got bad bounces. There was definitely an element of luck. The John Tavares thing 10 minutes into the series, losing him for the entirety of the series, and then losing Jake Muzzin, and then losing a couple of overtime games with the turnovers. No doubt, luck was involved. It is hockey, but you were the worst team in a seven-game series against a team you finished 18 points higher than and won seven out of ten meetings during the regular season and then took a 3-1 lead without John Tavares. Some acknowledgement that this is not bad bounces and woe is me, that something, it doesn't mean that even Mitch Marner has to be shipped out of town, but that something is rotten here, that something is broken and we're going to work like hell to fix it because it was not bad bounces, it was not good goaltending that sent us to the golf course here uh, way earlier than we anticipated. So, did you see Sid's rant on Tim and Friends yesterday? I missed it. So, he he was like apoplectic about people who compare the Raptors Messiah moment to this one for the Leafs because the Raptors never, or had continued to win playoff series and the Leafs have not been able to do that, and they were getting bounced by LeBron James. Some of the same stuff like you were saying yesterday, which I think is yeah. totally right and totally fair and totally true. But I'm sorry, but I, I do think about this because regular season DeMar DeRozan could not become playoff DeMar DeRozan. 
And so to me, that's the main parallel here, which was you've got a really good regular season team that finishes atop the standings that can't convert that same style of play, that same efficiency to games that are harder to play in. And, and we learn this over and over and over again, right? That it's okay, you know, you can learn a lot from a regular season, but when it all comes down to it, these are different games and this is where you're going to get judged and this is the sample size that matters more. I'm sorry, but the sample size of those seven games to me is far more important than the sample size of, you know, middle of the year beating Edmonton three times. Mm-hmm. It just is. But the other parallel, I would say, is that it is an inflection point for the franchise, just like it was with the Raptors. They had tried it multiple times, and they had to make a decision as to whether or not they needed to continue to trust the process and whether or not it was good enough to beat LeBron and whether it was good enough to come out of the Eastern Conference. And then LeBron left. Yeah. LeBron left. And the Raptors still decided (laughs) to go with this and say, we're pivoting, we're moving, because that was the hope. And and that's as sad as it sounds is that – that was the idea, was that the Raptors could do it now because LeBron left, and maybe now in the vacuum of that s- space, they could do something. But I I still remember Masai Ujiri starting his media conference that year after they had lost, after they had been swept. And it was disappointing because it wasn't just a loss. It was a sweep. And it was a sweep where LeBron just once again took out their hearts and held it in front of them. After going seven games against the Pacers and the yeah. freaking Boston Celtics and having and just yeah. getting tattooed in the finals. Like, that was the worst LeBron team. And DeMar was benched for his Game 4 performance. It was not even looking at it. No. Dwayne Casey had a meltdown with Masai Ujiri in the locker room. It was yeah. just... I, I get the parallel, okay? I get not thinking it's fair to compare the Raptors when they actually had had some success, yeah. but... Clearly, I feel as though this is a moment where your general manager, just like Masai Ujiri, right after that series, had to approach a podium and people were looking for answers. Masai Ujiri stepped to that podium and he said something along the lines of, I don't know why we do this right now because it's too soon, it's too fresh, and it's you're not going to get much out of me. But you know what happened? You know why we do these media availabilities so soon? It's because when you're a human being who cares about the team, you let a bit more raw emotion out. So for Kyle Dubas, a, a year ago, it was a defensive nature. It was He was defensive of his group. He had probably been tired of all the barbs that he had taken for the entire season long. And he just kind of pasted people. With Masai Ujiri, his frustrations boiled over. And he basically spilled the beans, if you look back on it, that this was not going to come back, that there were going to be wide-sweeping changes, that this wasn't good enough, that they were in it for championships. And so for Kyle Dubas, yeah, I actually sort of do feel like if people are going to believe in you as a leader, one, the results have to be there. Like, that's the most critical, important thing. Like, there's nothing else. It's not going to be platitudes that get it done. But... I think you need to resonate today. I think you as a leader of this organization, the guy who's putting all the pieces together, who has to figure out the most complicated offseason going, you and Shanahan have to sound like you're right, but what you just said, which is that you have a clue, that you understand the frustrations, and that you not only understand them, but you share them, and you are passionately going to be trying to fix them, and that everything is on the table. Like, mm-hmm. I, everything has to be on the table. Yeah, that, and I know... It's good analysis that we got yesterday from Chris Versteeg and Nick Kiprios about, hey, you don't give up on these on these players who have been incredible regular season players and they've even had playoff moments mm-hmm. but have not been able to figure it out through half a decade of postseason. It just has not clicked for them. They haven't learned how to do it. 
and that they you can't throw out the possibility that they will learn but some acknowledgement here that there is a difference in the way this team is playing that's all that's all and again, we did get a yeah, little bit of that shooting percentages. From if if it's shooting percentages, no. and we had the chances, and we feel as though if John was here, it would have been. Again, it's it's so funny. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, and I've talked about this with people, but people almost have to leave John Tavares out of the equation, even though he's so important. He's eleven million dollars yes. center because it's just and, it and, sounds and awful when you bring even it up. as poorly as they played, like mm-hmm. they win the series. I mean, two of the final three games went to overtime. Uh, mm-hmm. John Tavares is a 47 goal scorer in the National Hockey League like yeah you don't think maybe he finds a way to score a goal in this series that maybe changes it yeah I think so but doesn't matter they should have won anyways they should have won without him yeah that's the thing is like if you were going into the series against Winnipeg and it really would have been a huge point of our topic of conversation with us um, had they actually won it would have been Boy, do you feel good about Matthews and Marner? Like, if the Leafs win that last game, and they, or, right. or let's say they just won Game Six, and they got back into it because of Brody, and they get back into it because of Spezza, and let's say like Nylander scores the overtime winner, yeah. How are you feeling going into the Jets series about Matthews and Marner? And again, it's this. This is a question about your top two guys. Mar- Matthews less so because he has done it in the playoffs. The question to me really does circulate around whether or not you can bring Mitch Marner back and whether the coach did a good enough job, and whether you, if the coach, you blame him a lot for some of the mistakes that he's made. And again, I do think that this is primarily players. I, I want to make this like very, very clear. This is on the players. Sheldon Keefe is not the primary guy to blame. But if you're not going to trade anybody... Then your first move kind of has to be the Dwayne Casey sacrifice. And it's like, are you going to fire your guy that you brought in that's your coach this quickly? Like, what other option do you have, right? Because that's what we all thought was happening with Casey. Oh, you fired the coach because you're going to run the roster back and you're going to say no LeBron. Well, and it is it does bear mentioning as well that that probably would have happened in if that opportunity of all opportunities does not present itself right like who could have seen the Kawhi Leonard trade happening the way mm-hmm. it did and the pieces falling the way that they did that Jakob Pertl and DeMar DeRozan in a first round pick would be enough to acquire one of the great playoff performers in the history of the mm-hmm. sport um, but yeah I think if you talk to Masai Ujiri, he was not comfortable, but knew that he was stuck between a rock and a hard place in bringing that roster back and just changing the head coach and just rolling the dice again without LeBron in, in the East. So that brings me to this. We talk about like what we want to hear, what the tone is going to be, and it's going to be impossible. And, and there's going to be something that gets said that everybody grabs, including maybe us, and picks over, and we'll probably do that as our lead block tomorrow. You know, like it's probably gonna be our lead block. No, we'll have to start with the Manoa perfect game, but then after well, yeah. that, like in the second, I mean, we'll fit both it's in crazy the first that block. Manoa we'll do a long is probably gonna block. do like what, like five or six perfect games in a row. Yeah, that'll before be before the league like figures him out and draws a walk or something. Right, and uh, we'll yeah we'll forget about the name Johnny Vandermeer. I will say watching Vlad yesterday was actually the nicest thing. I ah, God, Ooh. you got me off track with the Blue Jay stuff. I but know. Just like watching Vlad. But watching Vlad was easily the thing where I I thought, you know, at least you are the guy. You yeah. know, I thought about Save the it. Tony we'll Braxton it. song, Unbreak My Heart, as I'm watching him <laughs> just like rip homers. I was like, that's right. You are my guy. So, uh, yeah. 
You were Dubas talking about today. the first block. Yeah, first, first block. block tomorrow is going to be probably reacting to some of the things that Dubas says. So I thought, you know, he's going to hide. He's not going to show all his cards today, and he's not going to be as emotional as Masai Ujiri, and it's it's not going to strike that same chord, and we're not going to have as many sound bites. That's my guess. It's going to be interesting here what Shanahan has to say because again, Shanahan was the guy who really seemed to take the onus last year, and. It's it's very strange. I kind of feel like Shanahan is more deserving of getting fired than Dubas, but if you <laughs> fired Shanahan, like obviously you wouldn't keep doing it. It's well, a weird weird thing right now. Oh, sorry, you want to say something on that? I, I was just going to say, if we're here right now, because you mentioned it, that Shanahan kind of laid the breadcrumbs for the acquisition mm-hmm. of the, the Thorntons and the Simmons of the world mm-hmm. to add some toughness and grit and some playoff experience, that if we were doing the truth serum thing and getting the true straight goods from Kyle Dubas, I would really want to know how on board with those decisions he was, how I think he was. How how much influence other factors had on his decision making. Is this the team that he truly wanted to make this year? Here's why you can't quibble with the veteran stuff. You can quibble with their minutes in the playoffs. You can quibble with the fact that Thornton probably should have been sat and that playing him any amount of minutes in a must-win playoff game was a disaster. Nonetheless, as much as he played and the role that he got, again, big, big criticism of Keefe, something that they already lived through with the other coach was overplaying veterans, and that's what happened here. And then not overplaying the right one in Spezza. Still so confusing. <laughs> like, I, you know what? I might use my truth serum question with uh, Sheldon Keefe is like, why the hell didn't you use the good guy who kept playing well more? Who cared? When you who, had, cared. who cared and so did everything. Much. And like, why didn't you do that? I can't quibble with the veteran stuff because, again, for the prices that you got them at, what were you going to do better? Mm-hmm. Were you really going to find um, a stud? Like, Pierre Engvall makes the same as Thornton and Wayne Simmons. Like, that's what you get for that money, right? Like, right. You're, you're going dumpster diving. They've already tried doing this. Like, it's, it, the problem remains the same, which is that you have 50% of your money in four players, which has a trickle-down effect to your roster, which is, hey, there's really unideal circumstances. And we remember reading CJ's article about uh, Thornton's point production, and, man, a lot of that was because they put him in, again, these ridiculous roles that he never should have been in in the first place. But either way, um, he's there, he's doing these things, and blah, 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 and it's just, it's for a million bucks. What are you supposed to spend that money on that's better than those guys? It's hard, hard, hard to criticize it. It comes up to the top. It comes up to those four guys, and this is what I'd want to know if I had the true serum. Do you love where you're at with those four, or are you trapped? Do you love where you're at with those four guys? Do you feel like you are the envy of the league and that it still is easier to build out the rest of the roster or that you're trapped? Because if you move one of those guys, oof, philosophically-wise, you built your whole thing on more skill, more skill, more skill, and we'll get them all under contract, and you know we can and we will, and I believe in Mitch Marner and all these things, and all of a sudden, if you trade one of those guys, well you're on an incredible hot seat because you've traded an an amazingly talented player to another market where they're obviously going to go out and produce. And if they ever win, you look like a complete buffoon for trading off of one of those players because of media pressure or fan pressure or not believing in your process or whatever. And if you run it back and you lose, and, and again, winning cures all, right? But if you run it back and you lose, you look like you're stubborn 
you look like you got stuck in your ways and that you were supposed to be progressive and thoughtful and insightful and analytical and you had a roadblock of pride that didn't allow that. When in reality, I think what it is, is acquisition point. So that's it. What is it going to cost you to get off of the big four? What's it going to cost you to move one of those guys? Which is the guy that you would ideally like to move and what would you need to get back in order to make that happen? And that's what so, I would want to know. So that's a good question and uh, a reasonable one, and I'd be really interested in the response. It's almost well, you would. It's it's almost <laughs> it's almost this one, but this one is so obvious that I, w- I I wouldn't waste it on this. But it's very close. Mm-hmm. Is how much regret do you have in the way you handled the Mitch Marner contract negotiation? Mm-hmm. Like so much of this comes down to the three million bucks that he's overpaid yeah. per year. And I, I can't imagine defending it. Like, he could tell us why, and we all know the reasons why. He backed himself into a corner and basically created a roster that was like, here's the amount of money we have left for you. Oh, crap. You also have cap friendly. You can look at that? Oh, no. You know exactly what we can go to. And here we are, uh, not that far removed from basically losing a player for half the year and and it destroying his entire season. Because remember what William Nylander looked like yeah. before December when he arrived. Like, it was just a write-off. And we cannot afford to do that again. So, yes, it was not in that moment that the mistakes were made. It was everything leading up to that moment. Like, I... It's a. I guess I would want to hear it on the record, but there's just no question that the regret would be felt with the way that was handled and the trickle-down yeah. effect that it's had to present-day Toronto Maple Leafs teams. Yeah, it's hard, though, because you could make the case, if we're doing the butterfly effect thing, that um, if you're going back and you're looking at regrets, that capitulating to Nylander might have yep. been the one, right? right. Like, and, 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 and the way he played that... Nah, I know, I, but the way he played that year, you might as well have just made him sit out. But then, yeah, maybe totally. it, things are so broken between the two that maybe he never returns. Yeah, but you could make the case two ways with this butterfly effect. Right. right? You could make the no. case of either you just should have given him that money right away and been like, this is what you're fairly paid, and this is what this kind of a player deserves is $7 million yeah. bucks, which was actually the right call and have gotten him for a full season and then had mm-hmm. the right thing. Everyone always looks at it as though he should have just let Nylander walk. It's like, no, well, maybe he should have just pro- appropriately valued the guy instead of playing yeah. hardball over like half a million dollars. <laughs> that cost you an entire half season. That's actually the true criticism of Dubas <laughs> when you look at this. But that, yes, it did lead. He he capitulated, and it seemed as though they had him. Like, the Marner camp had him. They were like, you can't redo this. You can't be the GM who has two guys who miss half a season over a million dollars. So what are you going to do? And he capitulated yet again. And now it looks like he has to be. And we got flat caps, and he couldn't have assumed this, and yada, yada, yada. But I'm sorry. It was a bad contract. We said it at the time. We stuck by it at the time. We said... I remember doing that show on Marner. We said that the Marner contract was never going to exceed value, regardless of the cap, to what you were getting on, like, the Pasternak deals and the – I mean, that one was a little different, but uh, the one we were comparing it to was Braden Point. We were like, look at the savings points giving them right now. Mm -hmm. And there were people like, it's only a three-year deal. It's like, yeah, who cares? Those three years are – infinitely more valuable than whatever three years you're trying to project with Marner down the line with cap savings. It was a bad contract. So you're right. I think that the two of them are tied together. But that's it. Is are you trapped? And what is the value of Marner around the league? What would you need to get for him in order to move him? And is he even actually the guy that you would move? Like, if you just get carte blanche and you get no criticism, is he the guy that you would move? Hmm. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Would you, if there was no no move clause, move off a 31-year-old John Tavares and his 11 million bucks to spread that around differently? I don't know. That would be a good one. Uh, unfortunately, we will never get the answers to, the, to those. We will get different answers and probably juicy ones going back to, again, August 12, 2020. There were some good quotes that came out of that thing and certainly some emotions very close to the surface uh, with Kyle Dubas. We'll see. Four o'clock this afternoon. I do we'll think that's a fair question, though, is to ask, is everything on the table? Mm-hmm. Like, I hope and someone would... asks that question specifically. Is everything on the table, Kyle? And if if he's, if it's anything like his pre-deadline media availability where he said, yeah, I would trade a top prospect, it mm-hmm. could be enlightening to see his response to that question. And I would expect it to be asked today at 4 o'clock. Again, we'll... Well, yes, we'll have the players uh, at 10.30, Marner and Matthews. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, text us or tweet us or DM us or do whatever. Like, questions that you would want Kyle Dubas to ask. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I've been getting some good ones. And, like, I like I got an Instagram DM. Sorry for not shouting out this guy's name. But this morning, even, that I was looking at, and it was just like, the guy asked me a simple question, but it was a good one. And I thought, I could make a whole show about this, which is just, what are you most excited for about the Leafs season next year? And it's hard to do that right now. But I sat there with it and I went, am I really that excited about Austin Matthews scoring goals in the regular season? I'm sure I will be in the moment, but in this... in this, People being in the building is the first thing that comes to mind because that yeah. better happen and we're trending okay. in that direction. So that's good. Uh, I mean, yeah, but I'm seeing fans in buildings in other places. Like, I'm yeah, yeah, but not here. Visually, I know, and it'll feel good for us here, but visually that won't change that much. And yeah, anyway... Uh, that's a fine answer. <laughs> but yeah, shoot us texts, shoot us tweets at JD Bunkers at Sportsnet and shoot us Instagram DMs again if you're going to be a little lengthier with it because that's the easier place to put it. And uh, yeah, let us know what you would want to ask Kyle Dubas today, what you would want to ask Brendan Shanahan, what you would want to ask any of the players. And yeah, if you could give someone on the roster, top to bottom, Shanahan down, the truth serum, what would you want to know? Yep. Uh, so we'll do plenty more of that. Not as though our next guest needs the help, but we're continuing to solicit uh, your advice, loyal listener, as to what you would ask Kyle Dubas at his media availability at, at 4 o'clock. Hit us up on the text line, 590-590, or on Twitter, at SportsNetBen, at JD Bunkus. Uh, our next guest has incredible questions lined up, and I can't wait to hear them and the responses to them. It is Chris Johnson, the NHL on Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada. What's going on, CJ? I think you're overselling it a bit. I don't know that there's, I don't, don't know there's a bunch of amazing questions to ask today. Yeah, mm. they all seem kind of obvious, I suppose. And you know what? You have lots of experience because it was only ten months ago that we did something similar. It was August twelfth, twenty twenty. We all sat and listened to Kyle Dubas go on uh, defending Mitch Marner, which I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions about uh, that gentleman in particular this afternoon. Yeah, and, and rightly so. I mean, I think the, the scrutiny is is warranted for you know for a lot of different people in the you know in this organization after what happened. But you know, I still don't I don't really think all that much has changed. Quite honestly, once the dust settles with with Marner and the Leafs, that you know, I don't. I don't believe anyone really thinks he's going to get traded or anything of that matter. I mean, you know, if anything, they probably need to try to seek out some answers as to why both he and Austin Matthews faded in the playoffs after, you know, having such great regular seasons where they 
where they played too much? Was it their deployment? You know, obviously, if the power play was working better, they probably would have had uh, more points because those would, would be primetime contributors there. So, you know, I think that they're, you don't just, you know, wipe it away and say it doesn't mean anything. But, you know, I, I don't I don't see any change coming uh, for, for those. I mean, what, what separates the Leafs from most of the teams in the league is they have two players that elite. And then I just think of all the changes that could come this offseason. It's not going to be there. Yeah, I just also keep thinking, you know what else separates the Leafs is like not ever being able to win first round playoff series and that if you actually look at the Leafs um, and the team that you would compare them to, it's still the Oilers. They're the two teams that finished at the top of the standings and the two teams that showed up in the playoffs and were like, we have stars! And then it's like, yeah, I guess what? They did nothing because you have no depth and you have nothing else that can supplement them and now you're out because that's what matters in these spots. And so I, I, I think that the idea that they wouldn't even continue to entertain the notion that they might be wrong here is what would frustrate me more than anything else. Like the idea that there's nobody on the table or that you're not going to at least explore some options like that to me is negligence like that's awful (laughs) so yeah I get not wanting to give up on good players but the idea that nothing's going to happen or that nothing is going to happen like are they not even going to take offers on Marner because that's the question that I said should be asked today is everything on the table and if there are things that are off the table that don't just include Austin Matthews then I'm going to be I'm going to go nuts well I don't think it's on the table personally um, you know, I, I do think that they're going to consider other things. I mean, look at the playoff series. I, and and I, again, they deserve the heat. I'm not making excuses for them, but they had more goals, more shots, more shot attempts, and they had the goalie with the best save percentage. I mean, that was a series. If you played it 80 times, they're winning it like 60 times. Did. I get it, but, but, but CJ, the I, final I think three that, games. Like we we all, we saw the same thing, right? Like they got demonstrably outplayed in three opportunities to win the series. Like, you're, are you going to push back to that idea? Like in the overall, yes, they absolutely caved them in through four games. That was why we were talking about this being a short series. The final three games, they looked like the worst team. I guess. I mean, game six, they had the first ten shots of overtime. Montreal's playing four defensemen. Like Montreal feels like it got through the matrix and was dodging bullets there. I think. And it's it's not. I'm actually not trying to diminish the Canadians' performance. I just think that you have a front office here that's going to look at this, Boy. you know, free of emotion. And you know, if we're just talking about Marner, I, I just I don't think it makes any sense to trade him. I do think there's difficult decisions here, and you know, those things will have to be explored. You know, what what they do with William Nylander, I still think is a bit of a question. And you know, obviously he performed really well in the series. Was it was their most productive player, but. You know, I, I think that there's legitimate questions to be asked about whether, you know, devoting half your cap space to four forwards still works, especially now that we're in a flat cap environment. You know, Morgan Riley, there's a pretty big decision looming on. You know, he's got one more year on his deal. But, you know, if you're not willing to give him a raise and extend him this summer, you know, I think that, that there's at least, um, you know, I think you should at least see what his trade value might be to see if, if that makes sense. You know, I, I don't. I don't know if they're going to be able to retain Zach Hyman. I'm sure. Again, free of a cap. I have no doubt that that he already would be signed. But um, you know, it, there's there's going to be changes here, and we're now talking about players that have been part of the turnaround. You know, it's not just the the veterans that were left over from the previous regime. You know, we're talking about fundamental changes. You know, even Frederick Anderson. It's no surprise that he's he's almost certain to move on after this year. But he's been an important part of the team since Matthews Marner and Nylander came on the scene. And so it's going to be a different group. There will be changes. I think that you might see some philosophical changes, but I, I just, I, I don't see it being Marner. Yeah. Um, 
That's 18 playoff games in a row. Not one goal since he signed a big contract. He's got as many over-the-glass penalties as he does even-strength points. It's just, like, for him to be exempt from this and for them to be head-scratching and be going sample size and we have the skilled guy, it's like some guys just don't get it done in big spots and some guys I just don't think, you know, deserve to stay in a market like this for this long. And for him not to be held accountable um, and for it to be a guy like William Nylander who played his ass off that gets shipped out of town or a guy like Morgan Riley who wears his heart on his sleeve, that, I think that would be devastating to this fan base. And, yeah, they can say that it's without emotion if that's the way that they go with this thing. Um, you lose Zach Hyman off that line. I know that which one of those two guys that I wanted to play with Austin Matthews when it was late, and I know that one of those guys is going to cost a lot less. So, boy, that would be quite a blow to people. But let's, let's move off it because, yeah, this is just um, – yeah, where you think it's going to go. So, I guess... Well, and I just think, too, to not put too fine a point on it, I'm not saying all those guys are gone. It's just if we take the core four players, plus Iman, plus Riley, plus... You know, I, I don't know that there, there's a room for all of them to be back. And, and if one of them goes, that's a it's a pretty big piece, either symbolically or, or cap-wise. Yeah, and... That's it. It's like everyone's circling Marner because it gives you the most amount of savings with what I believe is the least amount of drop-off because if you keep Nylander, you can still allow Austin Matthews to play with an unbelievably skilled player just at a much better price, and it allows you to keep Zach Hyman. And I don't know how anybody could watch this team. Like If we're looking at the sample of both or the sample of everything at what is consistent and what shows up every time, it's Zach Hyman. And even in those games where that line didn't look like it was going well, it still felt like Zach Hyman was the one generating chances. Zach Hyman was the one that was hard on pucks constantly over and over and over again wearing it in front of the net like playing the kind of ways that you expect the team to be able to get it done in the playoffs so i i guess that i thought this one he's five done. years older though man like and, sure. and he's he's gonna be paid between five to six million i think on the open market i just well that's it is that you know does I, this does this loss remove any possibility of him looking at it and say I might take less to stay in Toronto because that was always the case for keeping Hyman was if he went out and he explored his maximum value you weren't going to be able to do anything about it but if he was willing to be the guy as Bourne always thought that recognized the value of being the Toronto guy who took less that you would be able to keep him and potentially make him stay. Well, I think it's a hard decision, like much harder than, than maybe even fans could think because we're talking about money most of us could never imagine to earn. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't see someone like Hyman signing for less than five times five. And so that's $25 million total dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think if he hits the open market, I, I believe he can get six times six. And that's $11 million more total dollars. And that's a lot of money. That's That's very difficult money to earn in any other profession, you know, once he's moved on from playing eventually. As much as he loves playing here, he can still live here the rest of his life in every off season. And, you know, I, I certainly don't think it's a, a matter of the Leafs not valuing him, not seeing his contributions, not, not loving everything about him. I mean, really, he's part of their core. You know, he was brought in the organization in 2015. He played a year in the Marlies uh, when Nylander was there. He, you know, his first year in the NHL was the, the first year of Matthews and Marner. You know, this guy has been an, an absolute staple to what they've done. I, I just, from his end of things, I don't know how you can justify taking, say, something like $10 million total less over the course of the deal. And from the Leafs' end of things, I don't think they can stretch themselves to where other teams would be willing to go. And so, you know, if if the end result here is him having already played his last game as a member of the Leafs, you know, it, it's unfortunate. It's the business side of the game. And frankly, 
it's it's the most likely outcome, I think. You know, just given where he's at in his career, or the way other teams view him, and what the Leafs can can afford to pay him. That is, unless the Leafs make a big change that I'm not expecting. Right? I mean, if if they were to trade a ten million dollar player, then then it's a little different conversation. But I just I don't see them doing that. Oof. Uh, yeah, that would be an interesting one to the, the uh, fans. The hits but, keep uh, coming. This is why I knew today would be worse than yesterday. Yesterday you could be cathartic and you could just be angry and whatever and be mad about the loss. But now, yeah, you start to project forward and you start thinking about things like, well, you just own rental to another guy. You don't have a first-round pick. Felino's likely gone. I like. I think they have 11 free agents, right? And then there's pending Seattle with what they're going to do. Like, there's going to be an overhaul here, regardless. I just can't imagine how you wouldn't be looking at the needs of this roster and just the potential, uh, like playing out all the outcomes and already re- be removing potential scenarios. Like that's that's always what disheartens me, probably more than anything. Right? It's like it's like going into the draft when you're in a draft and a player falls to you and it's not a position you need and you're in, watching the NFL specifically and there's that philosophy of stacking you just take the best player if someone incredible has fallen to you you take the best player and you figure it out later and to me like removing options like not trading the 10 million dollar player who can't score in the playoffs and continues to look completely emotionally and broken as a player in these spots uh, and ever since he signed a contract and things didn't get fun anymore i i just like i i don't know it's just it's hard to wrap your mind around well, and I think that's an interest. It's going to be interesting how this is treated today, right? I mean, yeah. um, so so little of what's said on these days really matters, right? I mean, we're we're pretty much at a spot with this team for the next ten months to twelve months, you know, where what they say is is not a, that important. And I don't mean to diminish it. I got to go to all those media availabilities and ask questions. You're playing but, it on the radio, so yes, it's very important. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. But. <laughs> but you know, it's it's ultimately going to come down to what happens if and when they reach the playoffs next next spring. And so, you know, today's a, a day that's a lot about posturing and messaging. I, I think it's a really tough position right now for the the, the, the management because I, I don't really know what you can say. Um, and and we do know Kyle Dubas the way he did treat it last August with Mitch Marner. He, he offered a pretty vehement defense of it. On the media call, he then went on uh, what was Tim and Sid at the time and said, we're not trading him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if it'll be that strong today, um, mm-hmm. not because they are suddenly going to trade him, but I just I, I don't know if that's the, the messaging they're going to want to give, and, and that's probably part of what they're, they've are they been working out here. In addition to doing the exit meetings, is, is just how do we how do we frame this for the fan base? How do you frame it for your bosses as well? Talking to Chris Johnson and Elliot Friedman bringing up the point about uh, the board of MLSE really looking at all the investment that's been made outside of the salary cap structure, whether it's scouts, whether it's development, and they've spent millions upon millions of dollars in the middle of a pandemic in which they cannot recoup um, money through ticket sales. Obviously, there's still money to be made, and that's coming, and people will flood the building uh, given the first opportunity, no question. But that that might play a factor here in some hard discussions to Brendan Shanahan, to Kyle Dubas with the MLSE board. How do you see those going, and how real is that is that discussion and the possibility of of maybe a shakeup amongst the front front office? Well, I don't know if that that if the shakeup's coming now, but I think the pressure is certainly there. Um, you know, it's hard to escape that fact. The Leafs are. You know, spending somewhere in the range of $100 million on payroll the last couple of years, you know, with some of the players they have 
um, you know, where they pay out a signing bonus and then trade them. You know, their, their total money out the door has been higher than, than the cap. Um, these last couple seasons, of course, you know, I think they should be spending money on all the things that other organizations are too cheap to, where they can gain an advantage, whether it's sports science or player development, um, that the number of staff they have working. But, you know, there's an evolution there. It sounds like, you know, they've cut back on pro scouting. And I don't think everyone that's worked for them in pro scouting got a contract extension. We've seen them remake the player development department recently and, and put it under Hilly Wickenheiser's purview. Um, you know, I, I think that there is restructuring happening. Um, you know, but but ultimately, you know, I, I don't know how much longer they have, you know, with where they, they can take a tangible step forward with the results. But, you know, I still think it's one more season at minimum. And, you know, makes it a big year, makes it a massive off season. Uh, because, as J.D. mentions, you know, beyond the, the players at the top of the roster that are signed, there's a lot at the bottom of the roster that aren't, and, and there's going to be a lot of spots to be filled, and it's going to have to be done creatively on, on the cheap. And quite honestly, I know it didn't work out last year, but I think they did a really good job of building a team in the way they did with their cap issues. And, you know, for a couple of reasons, maybe it didn't pan out, but now they got to do that again. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a tough this has to be a tough time inside the walls. And, um, you know, well, the GM might have one view or the president might have one view. Ownership has a say, too. And, and you know, that's all that's all TBD here. Yeah, in a weird way. Like, I, I said that what my truth serum question today would be is, do you feel trapped by the big four? Like, do you feel trapped in a way by it? Because... You know, we can all say Kyle Dubas did a great job filling out the roster this season, and I, I agree. Like, you know, I still remember an article that you wrote in the middle of the season about Thornton and the production that he was giving them from a points perspective, and Spezza again, and, and Simmons, all how those guys were playing versus what you normally get for that money. And yes, Toronto used their advantages of being here and being closer to a contender and all these different things. And now I look at this offseason, though, and I go, well, one, can't bring Joe Thornton back. He's gone for sure. I don't know what the future of Wayne Simmons is, but if it is coming back, it's at the 700,000 number. And, you know, he started faded as the season went on and, you know, he was hurt for a large part of it. Spezza comes back, but as Kiprios pointed out, like, okay, cool. But still, you know, you have potential of the Thornton thing happening at any time when it's someone that's that long in the tooth. But again, it's a byproduct of a monster that you created in overpaying Mitch Marner by 3 million at least conservatively dollars. And so I just don't know at what point you just have to look at this and say, well, you know what? Everybody who questioned whether or not I could get this done with this much money with these four guys, maybe they were right. Cause I still got to get a goalie. <laughs> like I still got to figure out what's going on with Morgan Riley. I still got to fill out the entire bottom of this roster. Like I'm going to potentially let Zach Hyman walk away as another own rental, which means that would be what now Tyson Berry own rental, JVR own rental, um, Tyler Bozak own rental, um, it's going to be Freddie Anderson own rental, a little bit of mitigating circumstances with that one. Like you continue to let assets walk out the door for nothing. You're not winning first round playoff series. You're getting embarrassed in the playoffs. You're embarrassing your fans. Like, I just don't know what the breaking point is for this group where you just say, Hey, like eventually you're going to have to change something. So to know that they're going to get one more year, it's like, you've already had enough. Like you tried the thing about the AHL players around Morgan or around, uh, your young star core didn't work out. You've tried getting 
getting them babysitters all the time, and that hasn't worked out either. It's like, what point is it just it is what it is? Like, I, that's kind of how I'm feeling about it. But, okay, I want to get to that. I'm Stop editorializing. I'm getting frustrated. Sorry. Well, Ramble. but think in the, like, the history of the NHL, players as good as Austin Matthews always find a way to win a Stanley Cup during their career. I, I don't think he's the problem. Neither do I, but my point is I think the – you just take as many shots with him in his prime and, and build the best team around him you can each year, and it's right. going to work out eventually. Totally that's, that's the thinking. Yeah, I and just so, don't think that the best team around him is with Mitch Marner anymore. I think that we've proven that that's not the case now. I don't know, man. 90-point-plus 90, 90 players don't yeah. uh, grow on trees. Against the Vancouver Canucks and you know the Edmonton Oilers in a soft regular season in front of no fans, he dominated, and when the going gets tough, he's putting pucks over the glass – He's shaking his head, and he's crying in media availabilities. Like, and he's talking about how he keeps wanting to be the guy and how he wants to be the player, and he wants to be player tough against. And guess what? It just it doesn't happen. This is a league, CJ, now where the young players are dominating across the board. David Pasternak is the same age as Mitch Marner. He scored a hat-trick the other day against an Islanders team that, what, is like a billion times better than the Montreal Canadiens? Like, I'm watching Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and, and like, what are they doing? Like, are they looking like Mitch Marner is against the Montreal Canadiens? Like, this is just a completely different thing. And again, it's just, you can have stars on these teams. Like, everyone's going to point to, well, why, like, Colorado has stars. Colorado has depth. Say, Tampa Bay has stars. Tampa Bay has depth. They've been able to uh, do both of those things. And Toronto clearly has not been able to do it. And so it's like, I guess if you think that you can move the deck pieces around and say, well, now instead of, you know, Joe Thornton, we're going to go out and get somebody else that's going to play fourth-line center minutes. It's like, okay, fine. But I think what you keep finding out is that your stars are not good enough to carry a team that is mediocre down the rest of the way. And that's what keeps happening if you end up with one injury, you end up with one cold streak. And, like, to me, that's just getting more and more apparent. But, okay, I want to shift to one thing. But like, except not except I remember when they said that Ovi couldn't deliver in the playoffs. You know, I covered a playoff series. David, David Pasternak didn't score forever. I think 2019, they're under the cup final. You know, like, you have to give these guys chances. Like, would, would we be that surprised if next year in the playoffs, Mitch Marner is, like, the Conn Smythe winner? I don't think it's, like, I don't think it's crazy. And I know I what we just saw. But I'm just saying, like, players that good with that level of talent, you just keep running it back, man, until they can't play anymore. And he's still got at least three prime seasons, I think, uh, production-wise in him, and, and, you know, potentially five or six. It just depends what the, the late 20s and early 30s bring. But uh, he signed, and he's been great. He just hasn't been great at the right moment yet. But I, I, wouldn't, I'd be, I wouldn't be quickly writing him off the way you are. Again, I, if it wasn't, if this was not a salary cap league, I'd totally agree. And I would say, you know what, that's great. Like, let's run it back. I would want to look back again. When all these comparisons are made about, like, the Washington Capitals, were the Washington Capitals spending, like, like half of their salary cap on Ovechkin and Backstrom? And, like, I guess what, at the beginning it was Semin was big for them? But, like, I, I don't think so. Like, they were still able to go out and get other guys. Like, they still had more on their roster than the Leafs do. Like, that's it. It's like you're looking at Engvall and Mikheyev and all of a sudden you're down a goal and you're throwing Joe Thornton over the boards and he's 42 years old and you're trying to get something from Wayne Simmons and there's no other punch. And so you need your stars to be just unbelievably dominant in order for you to win. And I'm sorry, they just, they haven't been. And, and I just look at it and say, well, that, that's the question then. It's like, who owes, owns this? Because, you know, there's the whole pound of flesh thing and sometimes it's ridiculous and I, I really try to be rational about it this last little while where I go, okay, like I can see the path from Arnerback. Like I understand the logic about what you're talking about. It's just that where do you put this? Like where do you blame, where do you 
lay this blame. Like you say, okay, you just suffered the most embarrassing loss in the franchise's history after there was more hope than probably there ever has been, at least in my lifetime. Like, not since they were trading for, like, Owen Nolan and Brian Leach and, and loading up these teams and saying, you can have as much money as you want and as much talent you want down the roster. Just go get this thing done. This is the most optimistic it's ever been. And you got embarrassed. And, yeah, at that, some point, you've got to make a change. So we're talking about potentially losing to someone to free agency or exploring a Morgan Riley trade. Like, that's who's going to wear it is Morgan Riley? Maybe. You know, I, I get like I get the passion. I really do. And I understand that you represent, too, what a lot of fans are thinking or saying. I see it online. I get the emotion. But I, I think if, if they – if they too abruptly change course, you're you're going to be more mad about that in two years' time than than if they are a little bit patient through this. And that's not to say it's certainly we know we recognize it's not going to be anywhere near the same team. But you know, it, it's, there's so many teams that are just dying to have two players as good as Matthews and Marner, and they're still so young. And I I can't. There's the list of people I would trade Mitch Marner for straight up is like incredibly short. And I think most of them probably wouldn't be up for a trade anyway. So I I just think they gotta they gotta wear it. They gotta find you know they have to get to the bottom of the problem there. Try to really sort out what happened, why it happened, how it can be avoided in the future. I think you ask hard questions of your coaching staff. You maybe make changes there. Certainly, the power play is no small thing. You, you, at least you've got Jack Campbell signed under two million dollars. You know you, you get another platoon goaltender. You know, I just think you got to find solutions. But you know, the the, the problem is is the, the problem for the in, in a twelve day series against the Montreal Canadiens probably isn't going to be the problem over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, if you could give Kyle Dubas or Shanahan or Keith the truth serum, actually, I'll extend that to a player. You can give anybody in the organization the truth serum, and they give you one answer to a question. What would it be? Oh, guys. He knows all well, the I think, yeah, but here's the right. thing. You got the fundamental question right. The fundamental question is, can you win with half your salary cap tied up in four players? And so I would love the truthful, non-spun, non-preconceived answer to that because I think how that question is answered, honestly, you know, everything trickles down from there. Uh, like, if they really do believe that still, if Kyle and Brennan believe that, then... You know, I, 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 because I think there's a chance that it might not. And the one thing that I think isn't considered as much in this is when they gave out all those contracts, they did it with the natural assumption that they would become more manageable over time as the cap went up and then the pandemic hit and the cap isn't going up. And so the conditions with which they're operating in now are different than the ones when they made the decisions on each of those deals. And so I think as much as the, the string of first-round losses or play-in losses you know, I, I think a factor in how they might view that now is, is actually more that the salary cap isn't going to hit 90 or 95 million in the life of those contracts. It you know might not get above 83 million, and that's a huge difference. We're talking about the difference in other impactful players. We're talking about having money to pay. You know, you hope that Rasmus Sandin and Nick Robertson and guys that come along behind them, you know, play well enough that you have challenges to get them signed because it would be a good sign of where they're at. And so that's the question I just I would fundamentally want asked i know it'll get asked in some form but you know you don't know for sure if you're getting the true 100 percent answer because you know it probably isn't even in their competitive interest to be completely transparent about that right now 
Yep. And uh, again, if we're learning oh. anything from what we had uh, a year ago, was they were defending Cody CC to the hilt, and then immediately moved off. And what you have something else? Well, JD? I just, you know, I sorry. CJ just mentioned something about the coaches there, and I know you got to run. We all got to go. But so, are are we talking about changes to the coaching staff? Because like the Leafs basically have a tradition now of they fire all the assistants or they move around all the assistants, and it's a new power play coach and a new pelican, whatever. Are we talking about going higher up than just the normal yearly tradition of Leafs shuffling assistants? I think it has to be considered. I don't expect it to happen. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of questions of what happened with the coaching staff, with the power play, with the way Matthews and Marner, you know, they weren't, they, they basically bet on it to solve itself, that they could play against anyone, that they would play together and it would be fine and it wasn't fine. And it's two years in a row, I think, ultimately when it got to a deciding game that the Leafs were far too patient, uh, didn't, didn't assert themselves in the game. I get it. They didn't want to give up chances, and they didn't really give up very many chances and still lost. But I just think with a roster this way that, that, that there, there's some coaching philosophy stuff that has to be explored. But at the same time, Sheldon Keefe was a handpicked successor to Mike Babcock. He's won a ton of games in the regular season. He's only been here 18 months, and I, you know, I would be, I, I would call that a five-alarm shock if, if he were to be fired. But I, I can't imagine his staff is back intact. I think, I think changes have to be made there. CJ? Thanks, buddy, uh, and uh, enjoy the day as best you can on a big work day for we'll you. We'll be listening to you. <laughs> it's like it's like our version of Super Bowl media day, those of us. And, uh, yeah, I know. And, <laughs> yeah. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, again, only yeah. 10 months ago All you right. did this. All right, see you, buddy. See you, boys. See you, bro. Uh, Chris Johnson. I'm at a loss for words. Notice that that was a pregnant pause. That 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 pause was a pregnant. Okay. This is clear to me. Okay, this is really not that complicated. They lost John Tavares, and that's awful. But they have a player who is making a, such a ridiculously high amount of money and not producing in the playoffs that it is making it impossible for the rest of the rosters to succeed. I think you can have an Austin Matthews when you have the best goal scorer in the NHL. Although maybe that's actually somebody else. Maybe that is Pasternak. Maybe that is McKinnon. Maybe it is somebody. I don't know. When you get the best goal scorer in the NHL, you can make it work. I like. I think Mitch Marner is a really good hockey player. I've said this before. I think that he's bearing too much of the brunt. But I don't know how you could look at this team and not realize that the same thing keeps happening, which is that they just do not have enough depth they just do not have it when the going gets tough and you send matchup lines at Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and you have are a team that says all we need to do is take these guys out of a series and we have a chance to win and and like I'm sorry yes they are missing John Tavares but what John Tavares is going to come back next season 32 years old Keith was already limiting his minutes we don't know if he's ever going to be that same guy ever again that was dominant. And yes, he focused more on defense, all those things. But I think we can all agree that he's in his post-prime and that the contract is going to get worse and worse, especially with a flat cap. Every team can say, we're loading up on the Matthews line. We're going to try to shut them down. They're going to become our primary focal point, And then let's let the rest of the roster beat us. And when you're able to do that, the Leafs do not have a roster that's, that's going to overcome it. They're not going to be able to build a piece short of hitting on an incredible rookie class, right? Like Robertson, Sandin, Amarov comes up. Uh, who knows? S. Simeon Gusev, I think S-G-A, that's his name. S-G-A, right? 
I just had to play. Gilgis Alexander. No, his Shea Gilgis Alexander just gets SGA, but he gets number two. I don't know. Whatever. His the acronyms. Let's call them letters. <laughs> letters. Uh, acronym. Those guys come up and they're brilliant and they're amazing right away, and you can supplement around the roster, sure. But I just, I, I don't see how you could look at this and not think that the best way forward is to try to find a little bit more balance. And I'm not saying trade Mitch Marner for nothing. Like I've seen some takes out there, man. Like of course, and I've said no take is too hot, but some takes are a little too much. All right. Uh, the captain. But that's a tough one. 